The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to Table Talk, the Spectator's food and drink podcast. I'm Nara Prendergast. And I'm Olivia Potts. And today we're delighted to be joined by Nuno Mendes. Nuno is a Portuguese chef who's one of the most important food pioneers of the last decade in Britain. He is the man behind a number of London's most interesting restaurants, pop-ups and food startups, and remains executive chef at the celebrity favourite Chilton Firehouse in Marlebone. He'll be opening a new restaurant, Lisboeta, on Charlotte Street in late March. Nuno, welcome to Table Talk. Hello, hi. Lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, it's um, after, what, what an introduction. Shit, i got to deliver on all this. <laughs> <laughs> Nuno, we're going to start where we always do, at the beginning, and ask you, what are your earliest memories of food? Well, um, I think my earliest memories of food probably come from my, my grandmother, my grandmother cooking. Um, my grandmother's cooking, um, when she cooked for me, she used to make me a chicken and rice soup called canja, a very Portuguese. It's something that usually feed, um, you feed to kids, children, or sometimes when you feel a bit sick. And um, I used to have asthma when I was, when I was quite little. So um, I think at times I was, you know, when I, had, when I was struggling with asthma, she used to make this, uh, this, this soup for me. And it was really comforting. It was basically just, just rice that's cooked for a very long time. She used to basically put a whole, a whole chicken. I mean, it was an organic chicken. It was a chicken from our farm. She just put a whole, whole ch- chicken and rice and water and a couple of, a, a little bit of aromatics and she used to just cook it for a very long time and then take the chicken out and actually just um, shred it and add it back in and literally like almost no flavoring, just a little bit of salt and um, a little bit of, um, just a little bit of cinnamon, I remember from those days. And um, yeah, this is something I grew up eating. And, you know, it's kind of like, I didn't necessarily wish that I was sick, but I, kind of, but I really enjoyed it. It's like, this is one of my favorite things to eat. Um, and and my, my grandma, like the rice, for some reason, she always made the rice perfect because it, it really felt like the rice fell apart and it really just um, added a layer of texture. Um, it, it basically emulsified the soup, so it, it, like, it thickened it up nicely. Other people have made it for me and the, after, and they would just like use parboiled rice or something and it didn't really, didn't taste the same. So yeah, so that was, um, that was my first, the first thing that really caught my attention and really got me super excited about food. I remember keeping asking more and more of that. And as well as your grandmother's cooking, was your mother also a, a cook in your household and your father? I think uh, my father used to cook more than my mom. My father was really, I realized then, you know, like at the time, you know, like my father was very passionate about food and, and, and he loved to cook. And I realized that um, much later in life that he actually had a passion for it. And he, and he basically, I think when he was growing up, he thought he was, I mean, there was no... There's no, there's no possibility to follow that, you know, uh, career in gastronomy. So I think he never basically considered it. But I realized that, you know, he had this passion for it, which he then manifested and he actually, you know, he died. He was actually cooking in a restaurant. So basically he, he opened his own restaurant to, much later in life. And he actually, you know, he, when, he, when he died, he was basically running a restaurant. Um, so I realized that was really his passion. Yeah, so, so I mean, his food, uh, cooking with him and... Also, he introduced me to food, 
to foods from different, you know, I think the, the diversity of the food in Lisbon at the time. He, we used to travel a fair bit. We're fortunate enough to see, to be introduced to foods from different countries. And, um, and also like um, the foods that you could find in Lisbon. You know, there's a, there's a small Japanese community and we found out the one single Japanese restaurant in Lisbon and we used to go there. And I remember like eating raw squid when I was the age of six or something. And um, eating like, a, like squid sashimi, like which is, it's not for everyone. Like, you know, like raw squid, just was amazing, like the very, very well seasoned soy sauce. And, um, and things like, you know, eating oysters and eating raw prawns and, you know, <laughs> the prawns heads and, and eating like, and I can go on and on, like some, some pretty um, strange stuff. And the food of Goa as well, which is something that for me, I fell in love with. And growing up on a farm, tell us about what effect that had on, on your eating experience as a child. Well, I was lucky enough to, um, we, had a, we had a family farm, so we used to, uh, and it was in the Alinteja, which is, I still think for me, like one of my favourite places in the world. We had a chance to go there. I, I spent a lot of weekends at the farm, and we, um, I spent holidays at the farm. So it was, um, to understand, I mean, it was a dairy farm. And to understand the first of all, like, you know, to to be that close to to nature, you know, basically the farm was almost a self sufficient farm. So we used to we used to grow a lot of the vegetables to feed the animals, and and whatever was left, we actually used it to to feed you know for us as well. We had obviously chicken. We had chickens running around. We had uh, cows. We had pigs. We had basically a lot of different animals. So we grew up having access to all this amazing food. I mean, all the, you know, basically with these animals around us that obviously we were respectfully at the end of the life cycle for them. We would basically, you know, we would then, they would be, they would be killed and, and then, and then we'd basically end up eating their food, um, eating, eating them. So it was, it was, a, it was a very, it was a really interesting way to look, you know, to understand. I mean, it was a great, great sort of way to get to know, to understand food at, at an early age. I mean, and, an experience that then became so important when I followed, when I decided to follow this as a career path, you know. And, you know, we always ask our guests about school food. What school food like in Lisbon? Did you, do you have happy memories of it? I don't remember it was, I don't remember it being, being very good. I wasn't very excited about it. But um, I have, I have, I've added in my two cents here in London because I did start a little project called Fuel for Learning. And that's exactly what we're doing. Basically, like, trying to improve the quality of the food for um, the school where... My, my, my kids happen to go to and it's a project that we're looking to hopefully see if we can grow further than that but yeah but um, yeah the food I mean it was it was still I think a lot it's funny because I'm speaking to friends in Lisbon as well about this now and it's still very beige it was beige then and it was beige now it is beige now um, what, are the, what are the classic dishes? Oh, I can't like honestly I mean I, I guess the, the, the worst comment I can say about it is the fact that I cannot remember you know, if I remembered it, I'd be like, well, be, you know, I mean, I just remember it not being very good. And I also remember, funny enough, because some of the schools that, that I went to, we used to make our own, we used to have to take our own packed lunch. And that was nice, you know, depending who made it. But yes, that was nice. There's a difference. What's, it, what's, in, what's in a classic Portuguese packed lunch? Well, sadly, like we, we, um, we've, we've kind of adopted the, the format of, uh, of lunch, you know, like of, of like something bread based although we used to have these um, these little vessels that we used to when I, in my first school like when I was going to, to primary school it was actually um, something called a marmita which is basically so it's a little pot with a lid and, and we used to take it and, and this in this case at this time was still a proper cooked it would be like a rice dish or, 
or like uh, sometimes like some of the classic Portuguese dishes, like you know a rice with chicken, or or basically or maybe like a like like a, some some fish, like a cod, a cod and potato stew or something like that. Something like quite. I mean, it was actually quite reasonably elaborate, and that was very you know that was very good. That was a little more interesting than the than the than this good old sandwich, you know. And what were meal times like for you as a child with your family? Was eating together important? Yeah, very much so. I mean, like we, we had an amazing time, um, especially my grandmother's house, because we used to go to my grandmother's house on Sundays. And she basically, it was just so it was my, it was, it was my, my parents, it was um, my uncles and aunts and cousins. So it was a big gathering. I mean, we, it would be a table of 10 to 12 to 15 guests. We all sat together. We used to come in, and my grandmother would be cooking all this amazing stuff. She has she had a she had a friend that used to always you know or a helper really that always um, used to, used to make um, this amazing you know these feasts for us. So there's always like a big centerpiece, sort of a piece of lamb or a piece of pork or chicken, and then all these like amazing side dishes. So it's a beautiful, a very colorful table that she would always put together. I mean, this is one of the highlights of my week. I mean, and. We had the we had the habit of basically sitting at the table for anywhere between four to six hours, and um, you know I think by the time like I think the kids were a bit bored and just like, go play, but but the adults would stay at the table, and talking and chatting, and then at some point TV would come on, and but you still like you know there's always like oh there's something else coming up and there's something else coming up there's another tray of food, and she seemed like <laughs> she like I mean she did it all herself, but you know like there's only two of them in the kitchen, but basically you know every time you just finish that you know like you feel like okay like you know we've that's it. There's nothing else coming. Then she'd always like deliver on something else. So it was a it was a it was a pretty uh, pretty fun sort of experience, and it was it was a lengthy experience as well. I mean, like when she'd kick off the sweets and it would go on into a into a very sort of a elaborate mix of different things from puddings from the different types of custards to cakes and to you know a lot of different rabanadas with like you know like the like the French like a, almost like a, a Portuguese version of French toast something like that. And, you know, what was the point when you realised you wanted to have a career in food? I think I'm right in saying you initially wanted to go into marine biology. When did you yeah, change I mean, your mind? Was, um, I was really, really interested in cooking and, and I was cooking already very much at home and I was, I was very interested in, in food in general. But I just didn't think that it was, a, it was a, like a possible career path at that time. So what I did is basically I, uh, I then found, you know, I guess the marine biology was a great excuse to leave because uh, it was a course that at the time was not available in Portugal. So I said, well, you know, like, I mean, this is really what I want to study. And I, if you can't find it in Portugal, then, well, like, <laughs> I need to find it somewhere else. This is where it's available. So I, it, it got me out the door, which I think at the time is something that I wanted to, um, I wanted to leave. I was, I was excited about going to see the world. Yes, and I did the first years of, of school. You know, I went back, uh, I, I went to move to, the, to North America and I went to school there. And then I... Um, I actually was introduced by a friend to a cookery school. It was the first time I actually visited. I heard of a cookery school. I mean, I mean, it's just not on my radar at the time. So a friend of mine introduced me to a cookery school, and then uh, I had a chance to actually go visit. And when I went to see it, I was like, wow, this is pretty amazing. The, the facilities were really interesting. The, the curriculum that they were offering at the time was very, very interesting. And it just felt like it was, it was, you know, it was youthful. It was, had a really nice energy. It didn't feel like it was stuck in time. It felt like it was, it was it was it was interesting, you know. You could, I mean, I was just I was just amazed by the, you know, the fact that you have classes and you know 
I, I went through like from classroom to classroom and basically a lot of them are like, you know, um, live kitchens and everyone's cooking, everybody's like getting involved and, and even on the, um, the more classroom style formats, you're still very, there's a lot of engagement and I feel like that really captured my attention. And the fact that you get your hands on, like it was, you know, I think I was, I was a victim of the school's in the 80s in Portugal where, the, you know, I remember like having a philosophy course, a philosophy class that um, I used to have a two, a, like a two hour class one of the days of the week. And it's such a fascinating topic, but my teacher would spend the whole two hours just writing on the blackboard and we just had to basically keep up with him. And it was just so, you know, for something that is so interesting as a topic, it was so, such a, such a, such a horrible way to, I mean, basically I, I, I'm just, I had zero engagement and I, I didn't feel it. Then, funny because I then found that course somewhere else and, and, and it was, the experience was completely different because the teacher was really engaging. And we actually, and actually my grades were, you saw a huge difference as well. So, um, so yeah, so was, I mean, I think being, having, having, having been through that experience before, I feel like that just also saw, I saw the engagement and the chance to get to know and get to, get to learn. I think I was, my curiosity was just perked up and I said, you know, I really, really want to pursue this as a career. It's, but I, I mean, that was, I think I was uh, 22, 20, 20, 20, 21, 22. So it was quite late actually. And when you started culinary school, did you have a career path in mind? Could you see where this was going to go for you? No, no, no. I mean, I didn't. I mean, it was, but, I, but I did feel this huge passion for it. I remember like, you know, getting the butterflies in my stomach as I was going through the process of, I mean, at the time, I mean, you know, you send a letter in San Francisco, so you're in Portugal sending a letter to a school, you know, really, literally, you know, halfway, more than halfway across the world. And you're like, and then the whole thing, and then they come back and then you get on the phone with them and they're like, you know, we go through all these loops, all these hoops to actually get through and, and, and hopefully get into the school. And then I remember like the day before, I was just, I was so nervous. I was like this really this amazing like nervous excitement that I knew that like, I was like, I just felt like, man, if this is it, I mean, I don't know, like it feels like this is the right thing. And I remember like the first, the, the balance of the first day coming out of school saying, this is incredible. And the class that I actually, funny enough, because the class that I had, the first class that I had was actually quite boring, but still, but I felt that I've landed in, this is what I want to do. This is, and I think from that day on, I mean, it, it's my excitement and my passion for this career, for, for this field has been constantly being fueled and I, I, I get more and more exciting, more excited about it um, as, as, as time goes by. It, you know, I, th I think as a, when you start, when you go onto this path, I mean, I think, you know, you're like, oh, this is great. I mean, school's fun. I'm really enjoying, I'm really learning. I'm, I'm, you know, I felt like I was doing quite well. And, um, and I really got a chance to actually get, you know, experiment a lot and, and, and really kind of, uh, I don't know, I think, I, I, think I, I became better and better as I was going through the school. But then you also have like this looming sort of fear that like, well, at the moment you, you're actually paying for it. So like, you know, I was like, well, at some point you're going to have to say, right, you graduated now. Someone's going to have to pay me to actually work. So I mean, it's like, which the, the, the whole thing changed. Like, you know, is someone going to actually employ me? So I came out of school, obviously, you know, and, and, and then when I started working, I really felt that that was, that school was just a very, very early excitement. But I mean, things got so much more exciting once I graduated. So that was a positive. And Nina, tell us about what brought you to London and in particular what the kind of London food scene was like when you arrived in London. I lived, what, 14 years in North America, different cities in North America. And I think, 
I was uh, so around 2002, 2003. I was feeling, I, I really kind of, I, I was missing being in Europe, and I really, and I also hit that point where I felt like, well, the next step of my career is going to be to get a big project that was going to, you know, that's going to keep me, you know, something that's going to, that's going to, you know, that's going to basically define me, I guess, or something that I'm going to go for a big project and I will most likely, wherever I am, I'm going to stay, I'm going to settle down in. And I think, I remember at that time, I was thinking, I don't want to do it in North America. I mean, I've, I've been here for a long time, but I want to move on. I wanted to, um, my, my grandparents are getting old and I wanted to come and spend more time. I wanted to be closer to them, closer to my family in Europe. And I was, uh, I was also really excited about what was happening in Europe. So... Portugal at the time, I tried to go back to Portugal, but just to see what, what it was like, and it just wasn't, the time was a bit difficult. But um, I came to see a friend in London, and I was really excited about the way London was feeling at that time. And I felt that it was a, you know, it had the vibrancy of New York in the late 90s, or maybe, you know, Miami in the early 90s, or San Francisco in the mid 90s. I mean, it, had, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was exciting. It was, I think, what was happening and the food scene here was, was exciting. I mean, but I also like the fact that there was a lot of space. There was still, coming from New York especially, I mean, you can see that there's so much, so much stuff to do, you know, I mean, especially when I moved into East London. So I came, I had been to London many times before and I always lived, you know, I always came to different parts of London. But in 2003, I was, it was the first time I spent time in East London. And it really, really reminded me of the Lower East Side or the Mission District, you know, Lower East Side in New York or, or maybe some of the areas of Brooklyn and New York, and then the the Mission District in San Francisco, and even sort of like the bohemian feel of Miami Beach in the in 91, 92. It was still quite, it was quite rough, it was bohemian. It was a big ghetto, but it was, it was, but it was fun. It was, uh, I mean, there's a lot of creative, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of inspiring creativity around, and I felt that it was a nice place to live in. There was a, a really interesting community, diverse community coming together around that area. But I also felt that there was not a food comparative to what the to what the scene to to the scene. You know, I felt that at the time there was there was no place for the people that lived there to go with and engage on the same terms as everything else. I mean, like you know, a place that's creative but is also welcoming and is neighborhood and it's, it's just like just something that really, but its own personality, but something that also that I don't know, like a place where what people could come to on a regular basis and just engage with um, without, without it costing an arm and a leg and, you know, something that like was not like a, not the, I mean, at the, I think at the time the concentration of restaurants is more like in the, in the, in the West End, you know, like central London. The um, East London was basically, there's not, there's not, I mean, Jamie was already there, Mark Hicks was already there, but there's only a couple of uh, Air Brothers had been there for a while, but there's not there's not a lot of stuff at street level, like like small like small neighborhood places. That doesn't seem like didn't seem like to there was many of those, and I wanted to do that. I mean that leads us quite nicely onto the loft project, which you set up later on, which was it was very much channeling that vibe that that you've just described. Can you can you tell us a bit about the loft project? Yeah, I mean the loft the loft was um it's funny enough actually it's an idea that started that that started brewing in New York. I remember living in New York and and you know a friend of mine had a space and I wanted to create this almost like sort of secret sort of supper club or like event space where I mean she basically the, my friend had, a, had an empty space in, in the in, in the the West Village 
And I was thinking of like, oh, it'd be really nice to do something really small here. Something that's like really well curated, really fun, just kind of like relaxed and just a place where people come to and they can share an experience. I mean, this is also modeled around or think, you know, comes through inspired by, by the fact that we all live, you know, in London, but we all come from somewhere else. And well, most of us come from different parts of the world. So our extended families are gone. So the idea of having this, like this, this idea of like my grandmother cooking, like, you know, this 12, 12 people at the table, but in this case, not being your friends, perhaps being, being your new friends or people, people that are, that are also curious about food. How can we bring them together and, 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 and have an experience? So I've been wanting to do this for a while. And I think the time had come, Bacchus was basically, because it was, was a victim of the financial crisis in 2009. And I basically was lucky enough to actually to find the space, which, which is my home. And I said, screw it. I'm just going to take, I'm going to, I'm going to boil, distill everything. Like, you know, what is the restaurant? You know, like, I mean, how can I distill what I was doing there into a space where people can come to? And there's also, I mean, I feel like that's sort of the comfort of being in someone's home is so much stronger. I mean, like, you know, you know being in someone's house is, is, is stronger than being in a restaurant. So try to, to bring the guests to my house to, to get to know them better, to have a, a closer relationship and have a, and create a, a really nice, intimate, but also very fun experience. And that's, <laughs> so I just basically, I think I, um, I maxed out my, my partner's um, card in Ikea, I think it was. <laughs> so we just, we found some really nice old pieces of furniture at, a, at an antique shop that we brought in. We found a beautiful table, wrestled up a couple of things from Ikea and, and a couple of uh, cooking equipment shops down the street. And that's it. And off we went, off to the races. And then we started just uh, two weeks in. We're like a, we opened on the, on the Friday the 13th of February, 2009. And Nina, how, how did it compare to what you then went on to do a few years later in 2014 when you took over the restaurant at the Chilton Firehouse, which obviously has a <laughs> reputation for being a kind of party restaurant. Was it, I mean, tell us about that. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was very similar, you know. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that, the, 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 yeah, I think the parties in my house were, were, pretty, were pretty fun and they were very real. That's a, feels like a, it's a huge, I mean, there's a, there's a gap there in the middle, which is Viajet for me, which is a special, that was a, a place that was very special for me. But yeah, I mean, the, the firehouse is a fun project. It was nice. I've been wanting to do a restaurant in central London for a while. And I wanted to do, you know, find the right, find the right concept, find the right, the right uh, space and the right people to, to join forces with. And, and I think at the time, I also felt that those 15, 14 years in North America were, were incredibly educational. I learned a lot and I felt that there was nothing... I mean, I wanted to put that to use. I wanted to somehow be able to distill that into a concept, something that, that, that was reflective of those times, of those experiences. And also something that at the time I didn't see much here, which is those really nice eateries that you find in, in New York or in San Francisco or in LA. Like just a really nice, like a high volume place um, that is really fun. The food is really good. But it's kind of like, it's like, a, it's, it's a social place as well. It's not just a... Um, I think at the time it was more like there were, I think London was more, it was either fine dining restaurants or, or, or these kind of places that you went to more for, to socialize, but there's no, it seems like the, the two were not mingling together. And, um, and, and I was very keen to, to, to explore that. For me, that was the, the motivation 
to open the firehouse because I felt it was nice to do something that was incredibly busy but also fun and where the food also is an important vehicle is an important vehicle for the whole thing but it's not necessarily I think it's nice to have something that is more a holistic experience rather than just to focus on the food I mean Viajant is you know very much the opposite it was very much a restaurant that was very much focused on the food and the experience and I think it was a more like of a quiet and serene I mean it was fun it's not as bohemian as I, I think the firehouse was I mean the firehouse was pretty was a, you know was, I think still still think it was one of the nicest nights in town you know if you, <laughs> if you want to get loose I think you can have a nice time there and your new project Lisboeta which is set to open end of March beginning of April of this year where does that sit on on that spectrum you've just described to us in terms of food and vibe and community? Well, I wanted you know I wanted to be very much focused on 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 the community and on on the on the on the vibe as well. I mean, it's it's basically the restaurant is inspired by 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 Lisbon, my hometown, and Lisbon is a, is a is a is a really fun city, but it has a lot of culture, a lot of history. I mean, you can you can you know it's it's a, it's a city where you can really enjoy yourself. You know, at any time of day, but it also there has this like gastronomic culture that basically rolls through the day, and it can get a little bit more serious at night. But it's still kind of this cafe culture, this kind of feeling of can just walk into a place, and and all of a sudden, you know, three hours later you're still there, and you can like and you can go for like a glass of wine, and then all of a sudden you get stuck in, and you end up having dinner there, or like this kind of um, it's it's a it's a place that is very informal and accessible but a place that is also true to the gastronomic, that celebrates gastronomic Portuguese food. I think it's, you know, celebrates the wine, all the, the, a lot of the, the amazing wine that we have, and the, the young, especially the young wine producers that Portugal now has, that basically are now like really having a, a really nice impact on the wine, on the new wine scene. But um, I want it to be a place that is, you know, affordable, accessible, that is also... It could be a neighborhood restaurant, but also a destination at the same time. And I think that's a, it's very important, but it feels like it is not necessarily transporting Lisbon, but it feels like it has the a, a, a DNA of Lisbon. And when you're not cooking professionally and you're at home cooking, what, what do you tend to cook for yourself and your family? Uh, it varies. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm very fortunate because I live by Broadway Market, um, so I have an access to a lot of uh, amazing food there. So, I mean, you know, there's an amazing, amazing fishmonger there, amazing butchers there, and quite a lot of green grocers, amazing, you know, bakery. So, I mean, I, I usually like, I mean, it's nice because I, um, I literally like, I walk down the market and I pick up my shopping from there and I, I come home and cook. I think my, my kids, um, they're now getting more and more excited about the food that I cook for them. I think at one point they're like, ah, oh, it's too complicated, it's too this, too that. But now they're they're actually falling in. Um, they're really they're really enjoying my cooking. But yeah, I mean, like I just cook from the market. I mean, I think I can't really say. I think I've always been. If I look at my pantry, I think my pantry is probably. I mean, between I think it's probably a thirty percent Portuguese to thirty percent Japanese to maybe thirty percent sort of Mexican. So I think uh, in terms of the things that I have in my pantry, so I, I would say that the flavors end up sort of like going somewhere in those directions. Um, are, are there any and British... But mixed together as well. Are there well, any kind it, of traditional British dish that you've sort of come to, to British dishes? Cook? Yeah. 
I mean, I, 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 I go out to eat. I mean, like, you know, I, a lot of the, I think a lot of the, a lot of the local restaurants, a lot of, in my area, they celebrate to a, little, a lot of the local product. And St. John's, you know, for instance, obviously has been sort of channeling that as well. I don't really make that at home. I usually like, you know, like if I want it, like like one of the best pies, I probably go to to the Marksman or go to St. John for an amazing pie. I prefer tempura to fish and chips, <laughs> and I've actually made my own version of that personally. But yeah, I mean, like I'm not really. Um, I feel like at home I cook more. I mean, once in a while we do a roast. I think, um, or like a big joint of meat, but but I think it's mostly smaller things as well and, and just more eclectic I guess and you know we normally end by asking what would your desert island meal be um probably raw fish with rice if I can cook it <laughs> and seaweed <laughs> and if you could have anything to drink alongside it what would you have ah some nice Portuguese wine I think yeah I don't know like I mean yeah yeah definitely some, like a nice a nice um my friend Dirk I mean he's one of my my favorite winemakers uh, dear Newport, he makes amazing wines. Probably have a glass to him, and I'll think about him and all the times we spent together, something like that. Well, Nuno, thank you very much for joining Table Talk. Oh, absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Table Talk. If you enjoyed it, please do leave us a rating and review. For more recipes and recommendations, sign up to The Spectator's free monthly food and drink email, The Takeaway, written by me, Olivia Potts. Sign up at www.spectator.co.uk forward slash Olivia Potts.